This is the On The Touchline Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. If you guys have listened to the show for a while, you know that I talk a lot about DukeTigBrand.com. D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com. They just launched a new product that is a waterproof notebook. I've actually used this product in my own coaching experience, and it is a game changer. Go to duketigbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. Check out the new waterproof notebook, and upon checkout, use the promo code BROADWATER19, B-R-O-A-D-W-A-T-E-R-1-9, I can save you 10% at checkout. DukeTigBrand.com. In season two, episode 14, I sit down and talk with Kiesel Broom. This is part of the series of in-person interviews that I've been able to conduct this season. I've gotten to know Kiesel actually through a few different people and a former guest on the show and friend of ours, mutual friend, Dustin Wise, was one of the people that helped connect me to Kiesel. Kiesel latched on as a goalkeeping coach with the youth club that I was working with this past spring. And we both finished training on a Wednesday night about two weeks ago. And I had asked him previously if he'd be interested in coming on the show. I'm fascinated by players that have put in the work to try and make it at the highest level uh, in our game here in the U.S. So Kiesel played his collegiate ball at Providence College. And originally from Delaware, his father was from Barbados. That allowed him to have an opportunity to play and still play for the Barbadian national team. Kiesel made 59 appearances for Providence College and helped secure the first Big East title for them during his playing career. He was selected in the third round of the 2015 MLS Super Draft by the San Jose Earthquakes, but ultimately not signed. And he's played for clubs like the New York Cosmos, Reading United, Ocean City Nor'easters, Real Boston Rams, Harrisburg Islanders, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, and is currently playing for an MPL and is currently playing for an NPSL team, newly formed NPSL team here in the Pittsburgh area, the Pittsburgh Hotspurs. Broom was called up by the Barbados national football team for the first time in March of 2015, but unable to accept due to injury. He was then later called up in June of 2015 for Barbados. 2018 World Cup qualification against Aruba. He's made a number of appearances for Barbados as their starting goalkeeper on their national squad. I hope you enjoy episode 14 of season two, my conversation with Kiesel Broom. Uh, Kiesel Broom, thank you so much for being on the, the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And um, one, really thankful that you're in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, not only from your goalkeeping abilities, but having watched you play at the Riverhounds and uh, 
part of what you're doing for our club, you know, teaching our, our keepers to be better. And, um, you know, I was telling somebody earlier that, you know, you, you kind of have a little bit going on right now with your playing, your coaching, uh, you're working full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot, a lot of balls in the air. Definitely. But um, I, I'm curious about your, your backstory. Okay. Uh, g- grew up in Delaware. Yes, born and raised. And uh, have, uh, what's, what's the word, Bar- Barbadian? Bar- uh, they, say, they say Bajan, B-A-J-A-N. Okay. Yeah, Bajan. Uh, your, your dad grew mm-hmm. up there? Yeah, 100%, yeah. Um, so tell folks a little bit about, about your backstory and um, kind of how you got connected to the Barbados national team and um, what it was like as a youth player and, and from there. Yeah, so uh, I was a born and raised in Delaware. Um, went to a small private school, Caraval Academy, uh, played soccer there. Uh, I started out uh, the youth club called Kirkwood uh, out of Delaware. Mm-hmm. Um, once I kind of hit the 15, 16-year mark, I was kind of like, all right, like, what I want to do. Um, and I transferred up to uh, FC Delco out of Eastern Pennsylvania, so I was there for a little bit. Um, that kind of opened up the door to college. Um, I was able to be seen by Providence College, um, and it was, a, it was a match in heaven. Yeah, it was like I would go back to Providence <laughs> tomorrow if I could. You know, mm-hmm. I, love, I love that place so much and had a great career there, had a great experience, and then... From there, the, I knew I, I always wanted to play pro. Um, I just didn't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually funny because I actually came to the Riverhounds first. My first professional tryout mm. was actually here in Pittsburgh. Um, and I actually got drafted while I was here in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So um, I, actually, I got drafted to San Jose. Uh, great experience. I was just unlucky. I had a, I had a shoulder injury from college, mm-hmm. which kind of kept me out. Um, but ultimately, it worked out. I ended up with the New York Cosmos. Um, and then with the whole Barbados thing, my agent... Uh, I was actually good friends with the technical director. Mm -hmm. So it was a kind of a who you know more than what you know, you know, and um, showed him my highlight tape and he was very interested. And um, my first qualifier was um, June 10th, 2015. We played at Aruba, first World Cup qualifier ever played in. I mean, the whole, the anthem and everything like that, it was just like kind of a dream come true. Um, We won the game 2-0 and I've been playing for Barbados ever since. Uh, Probably have about at least 13, 14 caps on my name so far and wow. different competitions and got to travel, see the world, you know, play for New York Cosmos, play for the Harrisburg City Islanders, Pittsburgh Riverhounds, and I've trialed out with different teams. I've trained with the Union, New England Revolution, um, mm. Cosmos again. Uh, I could, the list, yeah, it's, it's, the list goes on, but um, it's been great. Richmond Kickers is another one. Um, so. Okay. Been all over trying to you know pursue the dream and kind of make it reality. So that's just that's just where I'm at right now. Yeah. When did the uh, I don't know I don't call it the light bulb, but you know uh, I was talking with someone last night who um, he's a, a goalkeeping coach at a at a club in Tennessee, mm-hmm. and you know uh, part of being a keeper you have to be a little crazy, right? <laughs> and there comes a, a period in time where you know you sort of make that switch full time, where you go from you know I'm no longer a field player, but I want to be a goalkeeper. And when did that happen for you uh, as a player? Oh, man. Uh, to be honest, the story of me becoming a goalkeeper, so I was probably about 10 or 11 years old, and I had bad case of asthma, like real bad case of asthma. So I couldn't run. Mm. So I wanted to play, so they just stuck me in goal. And uh, I kind of just fell in love with it. Uh, I like having the pressure of either being the hero or the goat. You know, I like being able to command the defense. I like being able to kind of control, um, control my own environment and, kind of help the team when I can. I know I can never win a game, but I know I can at least help tie a game. Mm-hmm. You know, when defense wins championships, offense wins games. You know, so that's something that I'm always proud of myself on. And just the different goalkeeper coaches that I've had have really just solidified that for me. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, when I was doing prep on, um, you know, your background, one of the things that jumped out at me, so I saw a captain, co-captain uh, numerous times when you're a Providence. And, um, you know, that, that tells me obviously that there's a leadership quality and, you know, being a keeper, um, I mean, a lot falls on our shoulders, right? Of course, of uh, course, yeah. I, I never got near the, the level you got to as a keeper and, uh, you know, I'm old and, and well past my playing days now. But um, I, I guess I'm curious that leadership piece and sort of, you know, maybe where that came from or were there people that inspired you? Um, was it coaches? Was it family? Was it, you know, are you sort of wired that way to, to just be a natural leader? Um, I think it just comes from my parents more than anything. I think both my mom and my dad are people who are hardworking people, um, don't take no for an answer, um, and they've managed their lives very well. I mean, my dad worked two jobs, my mom worked two jobs, like, helped put me through private school, helped me put me through college, stuff like that, and just seeing their work ethic kind of just kind of instilled on me. And then when it comes to managing, I like I like being in control. You know, I think that's one of my, I, I, not that I, like, I can't delegate different, you know, responsibilities to other people, but for me, like, I like being on top of everything, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel so, I call it selfish, cocky, but, like, I feel as though, like, if you want something done right, you're going to do it yourself, you know, and so mm-hmm. I know if I want something done right, the best person to do it is myself, you know, and I can help out the best way I can, um, and I think that just kind of transitions over to soccer, you know, being at Providence and my senior and redshirt senior year, uh, being able to just manage or not really manage but like just to help the guys and like just be the best leader that I can because like mm-hmm. you're if you perce- perceive yourself as a good leader people are going to follow you you know and I think that's why we had such a great year 2014 not just me but we had two other captains as well and mm-hmm. we really had a great year yeah uh so you did have success at Providence yeah. uh saw a Big East title was in there mm-hmm. um you know uh personally you had success too uh um, you know in terms of clean sheets and uh, you know, save percentage was pretty high, I think, from, from what I saw. Um, is there sort of a, I don't know, a moment or two when you're at Providence that sort of stands out to you that, you know, you kind of remember more than others? Yeah, um, the, uh, the Big East Championship for sure, 100%. We were at uh, now it's Talent Energy Stadium, but PPL Park, yeah. Philadelphia Union Stadium. And me being from Delaware, my family literally lives 20 minutes down the road. So, my entire family was there. My mom was living in uh, Vegas at the time. Hmm. She flew to Las Vegas, uh, flew from Las Vegas for the game. Huh. Um, and being able to win that championship for the first time in school history, you know, was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a little bit more sentimental because uh, my dad passed away a year and a half before. Hmm. So Sorry to hear that. That's okay, yeah. A um, year and a half before. So it was a situation for me that, you know, being in front of all my family and friends, especially everybody so close to my dad, was something just special. You know, it was very special, and um, a lot of crying, <laughs> a lot of crying mm-hmm. for sure. But it was a uh, for me, not just for me, but for my family, it was awesome. It was yeah. a great memory. Yeah. And then I would say the second one. I think I'll never forget it. Um, being in the Final Four against UCLA. I mean, that was like I've always. I remember I watched growing up. You know, the Final Four. You know, the four colleges and they're going at it. Unfortunate, we lost. You know, in double overtime, but. Uh, I'll never forget that experience ever. Unbelievable experience. Yeah. Um, So I I guess I'm curious, uh, one, what the the soccer scene in Delaware was like as a kid. Um, And, you know, it's funny. Having talked to uh, coaches and players literally all over the country, that I think we've come a long way uh, as a soccer nation. Yes. But we also have a hell of a long way to go uh, to get to – 
you know, where we think we can be. Um, you know, we, we have the resources. We have beautiful pitches. We have beautiful training facilities. Um, you know, we have infrastructure. Yeah. But yet, you know, we sometimes struggle to produce sort of, you know, world-class players. And But the one position we've done really well in is goalkeeping. Yeah. And so I'm curious for you, I guess, what, what was it like in Delaware? And did you have, I don't know, uh, players that, you know, keepers that you idolized or... God, I would love to be so and so someday. You know, when when uh, you know when I grow up or something yeah. like that. Um, I think for me, just to touch on the first thing with the kind of, for me, the reason why I feel like the U.S. hasn't developed the caliber of players you see over in Europe on a day in and day out basis because we just have so many other sports. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's why we're such we have such good goalkeepers because basketball, football, baseball, all hand-eye coordination sports. So, like, mm-hmm. as a goalkeeper, you know, as a young kid, you're playing all these other sports, so obviously you have that hand-eye coordination. might not be the foot, but you have the hand-eye coordination. That's why I think we do produce such good goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. Um, the soccer scene in Delaware, especially when I was growing up, I mean, it was between us and another 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 team. That was about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like State Cup, it was just us two uh, going for at it every year. Um ODP was a big thing back then. You know, it was pretty much ODP or bus. It was the ODP. There wasn't an academy or ECNL or anything like that. So being a part of the ODP team was was huge. Um, and it was, I mean, it was a good opportunity to play against some of the better players in the region. Mm-hmm. We know Eastern Pennsylvania was always tough. We knew Eastern New York was always tough. Virginia, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we got the schedule, we were like, oh, we're going against EPA and whatever. Like, oh, I'm not looking forward to that. But... Um, <laughs> As a collective group, we had talented players just because how Delaware is so small. Mm-hmm. Every player spread out on different club teams. That's why I think on the club level, we didn't do that well. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, there are good players. It's just everyone spread out at different clubs. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Who do you idolize? Tim uh, Howard, for sure. Okay. Tim Howard's been my, like, goalkeeper. I've always wanted to be growing up. I mean, I remember when he played for the Metro Stars. At Giant Stadium, we drove from Delaware. They were playing DC United in Giant Stadium. I couldn't tell you when it was, but he was. I just remember watching him. I was like, "Wow!" Like he's. I mean, I'm sure I could have saw anybody else that would the same you know thing. But like for him, I was like, "Wow, he's awesome!" You know, mm-hmm. I want to be that guy. You yeah. know, and then I follow his career. I remember 2001 signed with Manchester United. He's playing at Lincoln Financial Field against Barcelona. I'm just like, "Wow!" Like it was crazy. You know, and I've, I just follow his career ever since Manchester United, Everton. Mm-hmm. U.S. Men's National Team, the World Cups, CONCACAF, like everything, and then coming back to the States and playing for Colorado. So now now my goal is to hopefully um, get an autograph before he retires this year. So that's, my, that's my goal. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I've told this story before that um, people have asked me at different times. They're like, of all the teams in the Premier League, why, why do I support Everton? And it's actually because of the American connection yeah. and that, uh, you know, Howard and, and Landon Donovan, yeah. um, when he was there for a hot minute, that... Um, yeah. You know, that's what drew me in at the time. You know, I didn't, there weren't a lot of European players that I really knew or could follow or, you know, I mean, just the, the access to the game that we have now of, I mean, you literally could turn the TV on, there's soccer on or football on every day of the week, every hour of the day. You know, I was following the, um, the uh, you know, the playoff battle and the, the championship today to see who's going to get promoted to the EPL and that, um you know, uh, 10 years ago, I would have never done that. Right, of course. You know, uh, so it's neat. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, Tim Howard's a, 
just a he's just a great story and uh having read his book I, he's one of my just all-time favorite american players yeah. um he and for a field player clint dempsey was my yeah. my guy just because he was he was a badass on yeah the field. yeah i agree with, he, you. I agree with and you. he didn't care yeah. you know um so I, i'm curious now that um so you're still playing so tell, tell folks a little bit about the experience you have now um well uh, let me take a step back. Tell me about the Riverhounds yeah. and uh, what that experience was like. Um, you know, and like you said, you got the call to get drafted, you know, by San Jose, and then you end up in Pittsburgh. And sort of take me through that process of, uh, of what that whole journey was like, you know, sort of post-Providence. Yeah. Um, coming out of Providence, I knew I wanted to play pro. I just didn't really know how to get there. Uh, I, signed, I signed on with the first agent that I knew of. Um, mm. He did he did wonders for me. Uh, absolutely great. A uh, guy's name was Brian Cranley out of Baltimore. Um, and getting drafted was awesome. I mean, it was a dream come true. Actually, I missed it because I didn't have any service. So I missed my name being called. Um, oh, my goodness. But it was a great experience going out to San Jose and being in the MLS environment and seeing what was going on and, you know, making new connections out there. Um, and then, you know, going not that not working out um, and then ending up with the New York Cosmos probably was the best thing for me. I mean, it was a great environment to be in. You know, I played with Raul, you know, the Raul from Real Madrid. I played with Raul. I played with Marco Senna. Mm-hmm. I played with Carlos Mendez, a big New York native from New York Red Bulls. Uh, Danny Zatella, another U.S. national team player. Um, guys I knew from Philly, Leo Fernandez. I mean, the list just went on, you know, and like being able to share a locker room with like that much talent was just unbelievable and be able to make those relationships. Um, but I knew I needed to play because I know I didn't, I was like, I was down on the depth chart, so I knew I needed to play. So mm-hmm. uh, Harrisburg came out the next year and I got my games that I needed, um, showcased what I could do and being able to make myself, uh, give myself a name essentially, you know, we didn't have the best season, but I played well and showed myself and that's how Pittsburgh happened. And uh, Dave Brand was a coach. We played against him three times. I played two out of the three games and did very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and wanted me to come in. I was like, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, for sure. Would love to. You know, I heard great things about him as a coach, and I knew the technical director at the time, Jason Cutney, very well too. So, yeah. you know, it was a it was an easy transition. And then coming to Pittsburgh, I fell in love with the city. You know, mm-hmm. I loved being with the Riverhounds. I loved the Pittsburgh culture, especially you know me being from Delaware. I'm a Philadelphia fan, so mm-hmm. you know. But seeing what the city has to offer was unbelievable. Um, so, just it was just I, I have nothing but positive things to say about the Riverhounds organization and also the just the city of Pittsburgh in general. Yeah, that's great. So, um, we talk a lot about uh, you know in the soccer world, sort of how hard it is, right, to make it to that level, right? So you get that phone call, uh, you know, you get that message of hey, you've been drafted. Is it look, ma, I made it, or is it oh man? I got, I got a whole lot of, I got to get to work here, kind of see what happens because really nothing's guaranteed. Right. right yeah. And, um, I guess describe for, you know, people want to sort of hate on the MLS at times and, you know, I'm probably guilty of that at, at times, but just how hard it is to actually make it at that level. It's not easy. I mean, you can look, you can watch a game on Fox sports one or ESPN on a Sunday and watch it like, Oh man, the level isn't good. But you're comparing it to World Cups and the EPL and La Liga. You know what I'm saying? But, like, if you actually go to a training session and watch these guys play and train, like, 
the level's actually, it's, it's a tough level. It's not something where, like, any person, any college team can just go out there and do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you actually, it takes a minute to get the speed of play, um, the thought process. I mean, everything's faster. It's a faster pace. So um, there's an adjustment period, I think, for anybody. Even for me going to college, it was an adjustment period. But, yeah, once you get that adjustment period, it's just taking your opportunity and flying with it. Mm-hmm. Um, even with the whole drafting process, I think only maybe a handful of guys actually sign a contract with the league before the draft. Outside of that, you have to earn it in preseason. And usually you don't get that, you know, that contract offer until the day before the season starts, you know. So you got a six, seven-week preseason before they actually make a decision on you, you know. Mm-hmm. So you have to be consistent throughout that time. Mm-hmm. Um, not being consistent, you probably hop on a USL club, which isn't terrible. And then you got new pro leagues hopping up everywhere. So mm-hmm. that's more opportunity, which is great. Uh, more competition, so hopefully the pay goes up. But, um yeah, nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed in the MLS uh, or USL, NESL, USL League One, whatever you want to call it. There's no guarantees whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes, um, you know, I remember as a kid sort of lying in bed dreaming about becoming a, pro- a professional athlete, right? And it was a American football or baseball or basketball or, you know, whatever sport I was playing that season. And you sort of get enamored with, like, you know, if I could make it to that level that, you know, financially I'm going to be set. But, you know, we were talking before our conversation started of just how difficult it is to actually, you know, financially survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you played in, you know, USL uh, and just what that experience was like. And I guess, you know, kind of pulling the curtain back for people that may or may not even know um, just the, you know, I don't know how to call it financial strain or the right. financial, um, you know, just trying to, to make ends meet. Yeah. Uh, I think um, you get. I think you get this facade of that if you, if somebody's playing pro soccer that they're making this crazy amount of money. In the U.S., that's not true. Maybe in England, for sure. I know guys playing like third division England, still making like seven, eight thousand a week, which you know, a decent amount of money. Yes, it you is. know. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to the MLS, you can you can look online. They have the. Uh, the players union and you can see everybody's salary i think the least the least anybody gets is like fifty-two thousand, which is a decent salary especially for somebody coming out of college which mm-hmm. is very you know definitely take that now when you get to usl it depends on the club right mm-hmm. there are some clubs like say like a tampa bay or like a nashville or something like that that they have they have a good they have a good budget so they can pay a little bit more like a louisville or louisville however you want to pronounce it you know <laughs> they have a little bit more money so they can spend a little bit more um but then there are some clubs that don't you know that you're literally some like i know i'm not going to say any names or say any clubs but i have friends that are playing on uso clubs that are making 1500 a month you know and and that's not even taxes taken out of it you know obviously they'll get housing provided some clubs do provide lunch or breakfast and lunch too Mm -hmm. um so the grocery aspect isn't that you know much but um 1500 a month i would say is an average 1750 max 2000 between 1500 and 2000 a month is uh, an average on uh what a usl player is probably making on a probably like a mid-level team um and then from there you know your usl league one obviously drop in league it's a lower division might be a little bit less as well mm-hmm. um but that was my thing you know i knew after i left the river house i unfortunately had another injury i had to get surgery on so i was out all of 2018 so i couldn't play and i couldn't coach so i'm at a point now with what do i do mm-hmm. you know so that's where reality kind of hit and i was like my body 
is only going to be able to play this game for so long. I need a long-term plan, mm -hmm. especially when you have life goals and financial goals. Sometimes, you know, you have to steer the opposite way. And I know plenty of guys that have retired just because they could find a you know a little bit better paying job and you know making a little bit more money. So mm -hmm. that's just kind of where I'm at. I'm at right now. I still want to play pro. I still train every day. I still go to the gym. I still do all that stuff. But for the time being, I have a good job. I'm making good money, and I can't complain. So yeah. Well, so I. I, I'm fascinated by this because um, whether it's, you know, football, soccer, life, uh, sports, you know, in general, there comes a period in time where we all have to sort of reinvent ourselves mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, hey, this is the thing I'm really good at, but, you know, you're going to encounter adversity, right? Might encounter an injury. Um, you know, if, if someone's working in a job for a long time and maybe they're let go or the company downsizes or I mean, whatever happens, right? These sort of circumstances just appear sometimes right. and whether you plan for them or not. So I'm curious how you've reinvented yourself and maybe that's a good tie in into like the coaching piece of, uh, you know, working with goalkeepers and, and kind of what that's been like for you. Yeah. So, um, I have a very, uh, never say die or by any means necessary attitude and mentality. So even when I, uh, tore my Achilles, after I was able to use a have a walking boot, I was out coaching again. <laughs> you know, I'm literally pushing goals and serving balls with my left foot um, because I know I needed money. I know I needed to, you know, pay bills and pay rent and stuff like that. Um, and then along comes somebody special, and she lives in Pittsburgh. And I know I moved back to Pittsburgh, and I was like, you know what? Um, this is something that I see that's, you know, a kind of forever, you know, type relationship. And uh, I knew I needed a job. You know, I know soccer has been my entire life. I have a degree in sociology, but... You know, didn't really know how to transition that, you know, and then I just did. To be fair, I, I accidentally uploaded my resume to Career Builder, and the <laughs> next day I had a couple phone calls and emails for companies that were interested in talking to me, and that's where I landed today. I'm at a, a marketing company called Meta Marketing. Um, so, pretty much right now, I'm in sales, and um, I'm making a good living. You know, I feel like what I'm doing is providing a good service to people. Um, and I'm all about the growth. You know, I don't want to be a sales rep for the rest of my life. I want to be a business owner, you know, and that's kind of the trajectory that I'm on and for financial reasons, but also life reasons, you know. So, mm -hmm. um, but also I want to stay close to soccer. So when I found out that there was a Pittsburgh Hotspurs team, I was like, oh, that would be a great opportunity for me to continue to play. Uh, also, obviously, with the Barbados National Team, I know I needed games to continue to be a part of that, that mm -hmm. fold and be a part of that team with qualifying coming up in the fall. Um, so for me, it worked out well. Um, I can continue to train, continue to get games, continue to get better. Also, I have a good job that allows me to the flexibility with schedule-wise, so I can play and can practice. Um, so right now, I have the, I have, I'm, I have my cake and eat it too. You know, so I can't complain. Yeah. So I've watched you coach, and uh, I always love learning from other coaches, mm -hmm. and that, um, you know, uh, how you might explain something is going to be different than how I explain something. Right. And I think that's the beauty of football and soccer, and the fact that. Um, you know, we could look at the same problem or challenge, but figure out different ways to solve it. And so for folks listening to this that, you know, haven't had the chance to see you coach, describe your sort of coaching style or philosophy or, you know, what are you trying to accomplish with the keepers that you're working with? I'm all about development. I want them to get better. That's the most important thing. Um, uh, I'm very serious. I'm very uh, driven, very invested when it comes to coaching. Because um, if I'm going to drive however many minutes to practice, I want to make sure that the kids that I'm coaching are invested as well. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I like to have fun. I like to joke around and like kind of enjoy the session, but there's also a serious aspect to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, 
I'm very open when it comes to dialogue. Obviously, I know that like these kids have had coaches in the past and things that might have worked well for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel as though that from the coach that I've had and the things that have gotten me to where I've been, that like I could help maybe tweak a thing here or there that can help them maybe get to the next level. And I'm always about open dialogue. If they think something's perfect for them, like, listen, well, let's let's think about it, let's talk about it, and let's kind of find the middle ground. Um, I like to get intense, too. I, sometimes I, I swear every once in a while, but I try, to, I try not to. Um, but I get very intense when it comes to coaching. Um, I like to really kind of get after it, have a good session. I like the kids to be exhausted when they leave because now I know that they're getting something out of it. And I also think that the, uh, the unfit goalkeeper is dead, you know, so fitness is a part of it. Um, even though that we might be standing around for 90 minutes, that we still need to be, you know, mentally in tune on what's going on. So even though we might be physically tired, um, you know, we're not going to let that mental aspect slip. So that's what I kind of preach when it comes to goalkeeper. Yeah. Well, I, so I, I love the word intensity because having watchers, watched your sessions before, that was actually the, one of the words that immediately came to mind, that they're intense, you know, for that hour, hour and a half. And I would also use the word pace, that you keep things moving, um, you know, you're, you're here to work, you're here to get better, and can you walk away from the pitch that day, you know, 1%, 2%, 5% better than when you got here? And uh, I don't know, I, I think that's cool as a coach because, you know, um, I guess depending on the age group, I mean, I like to work quickly too. Um, I'm not one to like waste time and sort of, you know, let's take 20 minutes setting up cones and do have all of it ready, players show up, let's go. Yeah. And uh, we're on, you know, let's, let's train. Um, What's the modern goalkeeper look like in your mind? In your, you know, so we all have, um, I guess, sort of like constructs of what that looks like having watched, you know, what we see in La Liga or EPL or Champions League or, you know, Bundesliga or whatever, MLS. Um, What does a modern goalkeeper look like for you? Oh, for me, um, and this is me coming from a college coach aspect. So, like, when I'm looking for recruits and stuff like that, I think I need a goalkeeper that needs to be able to play with their feet. You know, it's not just shot stopping anymore. You know, you have to be able to play with your feet. Um, different range of passes, I think that's important. Um, coming off your line and being confident. I know that kids are young and they're going to make mistakes. That's fine. But I'd rather them make the mistakes in training mm-hmm. and we get that out of the system. So when it comes to games, it's just repetition. It's muscle memory. And then it's just like, oh, I've done this a hundred times. It's just no problem, you know. Um, with a modern-day goalkeeper, you have to be a field player on top of it, you know. So I do very goalkeeper-specific footwork when it comes to passing. I don't just have them hop in a possession drill. That doesn't For me, that doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I'd rather them have the goal behind them. They're in their 18 or in that kind of realm where they would be on an everyday basis and dealing with different situations on real-life game situations at the end of the day. You know, I'm not going to, like, do something crazy when you'll never see that ever in a game. You know, mm-hmm. it's just simple passes. Uh, changing the point of attack can we clip over pressure you know what I'm saying like things like that where as you get older you're going to have to be able to do that if you want to reach the next level mm-hmm. um, has there been a, a coach or numerous coaches that sort of stand out to you um, that have had an influence on you throughout your career yeah oh man I'll never the first coach that comes to mind um, goalkeeper coach of Providence named Carl Spratt and I have nothing but positive things to say about him, to be honest with you. But I remember when he first came on as our goalkeeper coach, we butted heads every day. I'm talking like chest to chest, like we're in each other's faces. Like, yeah, I mean, he pushed me to lengths and stretches or whatever you want to call it that I've never have ever been pushed before. 
Um, so I owe him a lot. Not that any other goalkeeper wasn't influential, but like if I can think of a, a time period of my development, he was probably one of the most influential coaches that I had while I was at Providence or in my career. Because, I mean, he, even as a redshirt senior, captain on the team, he still, I made one like a simple mistake it wasn't anything like the ball like something like the ball went through my legs or something like that like mm-hmm. could be the smallest of thing i didn't catch a ball and I did that maybe four or five times got kicked out of practice sent me on a run yeah yeah i kid you not there was a time registered senior year i kid <laughs> you not i went for top hand save i made the save and both my calves cramped up out of nowhere it was weird I'm, for me i was one of the fittest guys on the team so cramping was not a thing mm-hmm. he literally made me run for the rest of practice and kicked me out of practice off of that craziest thing i was like i didn't even do anything wrong <laughs> he's like you're not you're not nutrition you're not sleeping enough you're not getting enough water like i'm like i feel like i am <laughs> you know but yeah. but no he pushed me to a lot of different levels not just on the soccer field but as a person so i'm very grateful for that for sure yeah. and I, I to be honest like when it comes to my coaching i have a little bit of him when it comes to that, that intensity, because his trainings were always intense, mm-hmm. very intense, and I was probably the fittest I ever was training with him, for sure, mm-hmm. 100%. What, so there's two things. Uh, there's the, the physical uh, and being, you know, uh, fit to play. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, the days of, uh, you know, uh, goalkeepers not being athletic or, you know, just sort of eating up space or whatever, mm-hmm. I, I think are or over um, because the modern keeper is you know just truly dynamic um, from what I watch Um, so tell me what that looks like in terms of the the physical part and I'm also curious about the mental part Um, because I I I love your intensity and I love sort of the passion you have not only for the position but the sport you know as a whole Um, but that mental you know, we talked about being a little bit crazy to be a goalkeeper, mm-hmm. but that mental preparation, right? That, um, you know, I know there's things that I say to my goalkeepers at U10 that, you know, trying to get them to shake it off or, you know, on to the next play or, or whatever, but, you know, it can get in your head mm-hmm. and it can, you know, I've seen it ruin players. Yeah. Um, so tell me about the, the physical and the mental. I think physical, like, uh, when it comes to training, like, I think plyometrics are huge. I think. Uh, if you're in the gym and you're training, I think you don't have to be lifting or bench pressing crazy amounts of weight. It's all body weight. You know what I'm saying? Being able to move your body mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. That's the, the biggest thing when it comes to a goalkeeper. Lateral movements, uh, speed and agility, all those things are huge. Like, you don't need, like, like prime example, like a petter check, like 6'6", but he's like a beanstalk. You know, he's, he's skin and bones. And then you have uh, a David De Gea, who's also, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not muscle, they're not muscle. You know what I'm saying? They're lean, they're mm-hmm. quick, they're agile. But they have all the small muscles are very strong, you know, so the shoulder muscles and, you know, making sure that you're taking care of your body is huge. But, you know, being able to be physically fit and it's not running three miles under 18. You know what I'm saying? Our 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 fitness is different. It's diving, getting up, diving, getting up, diving, getting up. Short, quick steps for 30 to 45 second intervals and then resting and then short steps again. You know, like people don't realize that like dive exploding to dive on the ground to get back up then explode dive here or to jump for a cross or you're scrambling for a ball like there's a lot of footwork involved so mm-hmm. legs have to be strong and also your core i think core is a huge part of it and it's goalkeeper specific core it's not just going doing 50 50 crunches you know it's <laughs> it's you have to do things related to the position mm-hmm. and then i think for the mental side of it 
you can't let things shake you. No matter how bad it can be. Like, I mean, a prime example, David De Gea, probably the last six or seven games, was not informed for Manchester United, you know. And that happens, you know. But the, the ability to shake it off and just continue to move forward. Because if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards, you know. So I think for him, or any goalkeeper that's in a tough run of form, go back to basics. You know what I'm saying? Literally, go back to just catching 100 volleys. Go back to just diving 75 times to your right, 75 times to your left, catching just crosses again, you know, just going back to what you were good at, that foundation, and then that'll naturally just go into play. You know, that's that's my biggest thing. But, like, yeah, literally, like, you have to short-term memory. You know, if ball goes in, on to the next play. You can't worry about that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever, in your playing days, or even now, have you ever got to that place where you sort of felt like you are in a funk? And how did you get yourself out of it? You know, or kind of work work out of it. Yeah, there. Were, I think there was a couple times. Whether I was in, actually, I was in Pittsburgh. I think, where probably the first couple games that I played, we just couldn't get a clean sheet and couldn't win. I'm just like, what am I doing wrong? You know. And then there was a time I was sitting on the bench and I was like, I reached out to the goalkeeper coach. Like, listen, like, I just want to train. Like, I want to get back to it. And it, it just it just took the time for me to come out maybe half an hour early and just get back to basics. You know catching balls again like working on different techniques like just getting back to basics and at the long run like hard work does pay off I mean like I said there was a time where I didn't play probably for a month and a half and then the other goalkeeper got injured we were playing against Tampa Bay Rowdies and I had one of the games of my life you know but like it's just being ready for the opportunity you know because people want the they want the reward so quickly they're not ready to work for it you know like this is a job only one goalkeeper plays you know, you can't. You're not gonna make a halftime sub. You're not gonna. You know, right. this is a situation where only one person plays. And if you're not playing, you have to be ready. Because like I could tell you, oh, it was a, who was a goalkeeper, Colorado, a couple of years ago. I think it was Clint Aaron. Mm-hmm. He was the backup, and somebody got a red card. I forget who the goalkeeper was. Matt Pickens, maybe it was. He got a red card. Clint Aaron came in, saved the penalty, kept the clean sheet, and he was a starter. I think for the next year and a half to two years, hmm. you know, but that's also just taking your opportunity and being ready, mm-hmm. you know? So that's, if any goalkeeper is looking for advice on like what to do, cause if you're not playing, just continuously work hard and train. Most important thing. Yeah. What age, uh, in your professional opinion, uh, should a, a player start to specialize in, uh, you know, if they want to be a goalkeeper? I feel like there's so much pressure on kids now. Um, there, I would, there is. Yeah. I, I, I'll jump in real quick. I, I feel like there is. Um, you know, and I say that because there are kids on the team that I currently coach. Their parents have made it abundantly clear to me that so-and-so is not a goalkeeper. And I sort of smirk and laugh. And sometimes, you know, I'll go on record as saying this. We'll put them in goal just for spite. Um, <laughs> just to give the kids a taste because the kids you know at U10 they don't know what they don't know exactly you know so to label somebody as only a striker or only a goalkeeper or you know we're going to play this kid just as a defender I think is really short-sighted you know on on a parent's part but you know when when should a kid specialize uh for my honest opinion I would say 13 just because you know, if you played a little bit when you were younger and you like it and you want to make that your thing, I would say 13, 14 years old would probably be the time to really kind of hone in on your skills. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I'm not saying I'm not that I'm against doing camps, but camps are important. You know, getting around a goalkeeper trainer is important that you like that are, that's credible, um, and that is actually putting in the time and effort. You know, like I've seen goalkeeper people say they're goalkeeper coaches. They have a bag of balls and they just strike, they just shoot on a goalie all day. You know what I'm saying? Like in my head, that's not a goalie coach. A goalkeeper coach is literally breaking down every movement and to show why this works and this doesn't work. You know, like sometimes a kid that's um, 6'4 is a different goalkeeper than the goalie that's 5'10. There's different things that you have to work on for someone that's 6'4 than 5'10. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but it's somebody that knows the position, specialized in it, and can help anybody out in it more than anything. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's uh, absolutely fascinating when a goalkeeper is not, um, you know, physically gifted in terms of height. Right. So, say, under six feet tall, but, you know, they have incredibly le- uh, incredible leaping ability or. You know, they're really good with their footwork or something like that because you're exactly right. Even for someone like a Thibaut Courtois mm. or a David De Gea that, you know, 6'5", six, 6'4", six, 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 you know, whatever they might be, you know, they have other deficiencies. Right. And, you know, so being tall might be a plus for them, right. but, you know, they have to work on other things to keep their game strong too. Um, so I, I guess I'm curious, um, you know, what advice would you give... Uh, a young keeper in terms of, hey, if this is a position that you want to really hone in on, what should you focus on? You know, what are three, you know, maybe really practical things they can do at home tonight, tomorrow, you know, over the summer, whatever it might be, and say, you know, I can't guarantee you're going to get leaps and bounds better, but you know what, you'll be better off than where you started. Yeah. Um, and the hard thing about being a goalkeeper is you need somebody to kick a ball at you. That's uh, probably the <laughs> sure. hardest thing when it comes to training. But if you're by yourself, one thing for sure is getting with a tennis ball, right? Continuously bouncing a tennis ball, hand-eye coordination, watching the ball go into your hands, both hands. Um, and also use that, like, you're just bouncing up against the wall. Or if you're laying in bed, just chucking it up. Or, you know what I'm saying? Use two tennis balls. Like, I have basketball players who bounce both. Same thing with a, with a, with a, with a goalkeeper. I think the second thing is jump, jumping rope. Mm. I think jumping rope is huge. Uh, that's that uh, that footwork and the speed uh, when it comes to be able to move your feet and getting set. I think that's huge. Jumping rope is huge, and then I think the next thing, um, especially for a young goalkeeper, is getting used to diving and hitting the ground. So I used to literally jump on my parents' bed when I was younger. You know, like literally just do like those extension dives on the bed, so like I could work on my technique landing on a soft surface. Mm-hmm. So when you do it in a game, at least you have the technique, so you're not hurting yourself on hard ground or turf. Mm-hmm. So those would be my three things. Okay, cool. Uh, so a, a question that I ask uh, everybody that comes on the podcast, Kiesel, um, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong when it comes to football or soccer uh, in this country? And I, I use those terms interchangeably, and you probably do the same, um, just because it, knowing people from a lot of different places listen to this podcast but uh, what's working, what's not working here in the U.S.? What's working, I love that these academies are popping up everywhere. I love that the competition is great. I love that it's a year-round schedule, especially for the young kids. Um, but it's also a double-edged sword because you want, as a parent, you want your kids to have a childhood. You know what I'm saying? You want them to be able to go hang out with their friends and do this and do that and prom and homecomings and go on dates and you know all that fun stuff. Um, but if you want, it comes with a sacrifice, though. If you want to be a professional soccer player and reach the highest level, there comes a sacrifice. Like, for me, like, I knew I wasn't the best goalkeeper. I knew that for sure. Uh, I knew I had to work really hard to get where I am. 
so it came out of sacrifice. I knew, so, prime example, you know, when you graduate high school, everybody does the senior week, they get out to the beach. I didn't do that. I literally, I knew I had an opportunity at Providence. Not that I was had the chance of starting, but, like, I knew that, like, if I did well, I could play. So I trained all summer. I didn't worry about going to parties or stuff like that. Um, even being, I think the biggest drop-off uh, or biggest separation is that kids go from high school to college and there's so much distraction when it comes to college. You know, you have the parties and girls or boys, whatever the case is, and um, just being a regular student is so much fun, you know? And, like, mm-hmm. as a student-athlete, you have to practice. You have lift. You have study hall. You still have to do the, all the normal student stuff, you mm-hmm. know? Like, you have to travel, you know, make academic advisors, tutors, stuff like that. You know, it's a full-time job on top of being a student-athlete, being a student, you know? Mm-hmm. So saying no... It was probably one of the hardest things I think that kids have to do. Um, But to be fair, it also comes from the parent. You know, if you're in high school and you're not driving, you're relying on your parent to get you to and from practice. So your your parents have to be bought into the exact same thing that you are. And like I said, if I'm a parent and I have a kid and he loves soccer, he wants to be a goalie and this and that, but, you know, I don't like the coach, then I'm like, I don't like, do I want to spend $3,000 a year for that? You know, so it's just, I mean, you know, you can twist it everywhere you want to, but uh, it has to come with a huge level of commitment, huge level of commitment, and just be consistent with that commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I didn't go. Like when we went to regionals, when I was in Virginia Beach, I didn't go to the beach. You know what I'm saying? I, went, I was worried about my next game. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. um, going for showcases. You know, I'm not out doing whatever. I'm focusing on the recovery aspect. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot more that goes into it than just playing. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's nutrition, it's recovery, it's um, you know, how can you best um, serve your body to perform at its best every each and every day? It's the mental aspect, you know, like, mm-hmm. so there's so much that goes into it now. Yeah. If uh, if folks want to connect with you and follow along in your journey, how can they do that? Oh, yeah. Uh, all my social media outlets, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, all of that is just Kiesel, at Kiesel, uh, K as in kangaroo, E-A, S as in Sam, E as in Edward, L as in lion. Um, I keep everything PG, so, you know, I don't put anything crazy out there. Um, you know, I, I don't curse, I don't swear. You might see me every once in a while out, you know, with a friend or two, but other than that, like, you know, everything is really kind of PG rated because I know I have a, a lot of different followers. So, um, yeah, everything's just at Kiesel. Um, yeah, that's it. Any, you can reach me out to me anything when it comes to soccer related. Any questions, feel free to reach out. Um, I'm always open to help. Yeah. Keys Broom, thank you so much for uh, coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And, um, you know, it, it's just it's incredible to me how small the footballing soccer world is mm-hmm. and that the mutual friends that you and I have. And, um, you know, uh, thankful that you ended up here in the Pittsburgh area. And, uh you know, uh, knew of you through social media, um, but some mutual friends also had a chance to work with you at some different stops along your way. And, um, you know, so I'm glad we've had the chance to sit down and, and chat. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, love to have you back on sometime. Yeah, we'd love to. Absolutely, we'd love to. Cool. Well, good deal. My sincere thanks to Kiesel Broom for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And I love his insight and candidness in sharing just how incredibly difficult it is to make it in our game. 
And I've watched Kiesel play. He is an incredible goalkeeper. It just shows how difficult it is with limited number of roster spots. And even the most talented people don't always make it. So kudos to him for continuing to grind and continuing to put together a footballing career uh, in his mid-20s. Before we close up shop, you can support this show in a few different ways. I love when guests and friends of the show share it out on social media. When you do that, please be sure to tag me at SoccerCoachJB active on Twitter and Instagram, and I would be more than happy to retweet or chime in with a post that you might share. Also, tell fellow coaches or those in the footballing and soccer community about the show. Word of mouth, believe it or not, in 2019 still matters. So if coaches or players or influencers that you know may not be in the podcast game or maybe in the repetition of listening to podcasts, why don't you turn them on to the show? And it's sort of like recommending a restaurant to a friend that they're more likely to take your recommendation seriously. And last but not least, if, if you listen to the show on Apple Podcast, go there now, leave a five-star rating and a review for the show. Please tell other people what you like. That way more and more people in the soccer community and the football community can find out about this podcast. I mentioned earlier on social media that this is goalkeeping week here on the show, and you're going to get another goalkeeper and goalkeeping coach this coming weekend. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you guys very soon. This has been the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.